You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. All right, here we go. Uh, our scripture reading today is going to be on the screen. You can follow along on left, right, or in front of you. If you're at home, it's going to be from Galatians chapter 2. Here we go. When Kavos came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Well, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's the reading of God's word all his people said. Amen. Amen. Jordan, am I okay with this? Should I? Am I okay? Good. Very good. All right. Thank you. All right. Very good. Hey, everybody. And welcome, especially those of you who are online today, everybody in the room. As you can see, we're in a series called How to Follow Jesus Christ. And we're looking at how to do that through the lens of the life of someone named Simon Peter, one of Jesus's first followers. We're looking at how to do that through all Peter's ups and all Peter's downs. And today... After looking at an up last week, we're looking at a very real down today. But even here, even here, I want to tell you, and what's a tough spot for Peter, and we're going to look at it, we can see something, I think, that shines brightly for us today. And here's what I mean. I'm going to take a minute to set it up. Over this last year in our nation, and you know this, you felt this, there's been a ton of conversation about and around the subject, subjects, of race and ethnicity. Has there not been? Yes, the answer is yes, in case you missed it. We're sleeping for 15 months, welcome back. Our nation, and this is for good reason, because our nation, like a lot of nations, has historically struggled with this issue, this conversation, but in all the renewed conversation around the subjects of race and ethnicity, one thing has become clear to me at least, that even trying to enter the conversation is ultra risky and can sometimes become even borderline toxic. It's a hard subject to talk about. So as always, your grace and patience are appreciated today. 
And I think part of the reason it's so hard is because there's a couple of extremes. There's extremes on both sides that makes it really tough. On one side, I'll put it like this, or what I'll call the woke police, who would say that any conversation around race is just wokeness, liberalism run amok, and we definitely don't want to listen to anybody woke, do we? On the other hand, we'll have what I'll call the race police. Those who would see all the folks who look like me as irreparably evil, fundamentally racist, and so we shouldn't listen to anyone who's fundamentally racist, should we? Right? I mean, all this, it makes it really hard to talk about it and not have people just become automatically offended or defensive, like perhaps you're feeling right now. And I definitely don't want to be that myself. I definitely don't want us to be like that. So, you know, why are we talking about this then? All right, for three reasons. First and foremost, because the Bible does repeatedly and actually far more than we think. And specifically, it's talking about it here with Peter. That's the subject today. Because our, and second, it's because our culture is also talking about this, but not in ways that I think are healthy or productive or redemptive. So I like to kind of try to do better. And three, because as you can see, there's just a lot of different kind of people here at Mosaic, and I love all of you. So I'd like to try to handle this today with some truth, some grace, a lot of love, I hope. So back to the something that shines brightly bit. What, what even in this, in this tough passage shines brightly? Here it is, simply this. It's the gospel. <laughs> the gospel, you're like, wait, that, that was all? Yep, mm-hmm, that's my hand for the day. The very heart, I wanna tell you, we're gonna look at it. The very heart of the gospel of Jesus shines so brightly here and I love this passage for this and I hope you'll come to love it too if you don't already and if you get nothing else from me today and from Mosaic in general, I hope it would be that. The heart of the gospel or what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So today, today, in the life of Peter then, let's follow Jesus into the heart of the gospel, okay? Especially as it intersects the subjects of race and ethnicity. How can we do that? How can you do that? Three ways I'm gonna try to lay out for you. Number one, I wanna encourage you to walk the line. Number two, to become the strong. And finally, to find yourself. You gotta find yourself and we'll take a look at what that means. But number one, let's begin here with this idea or a phrase called walk the line. What's happening right here in this passage? All right, this is written, as you may know, not by Peter, but by his contemporary Paul. Paul is writing to groups of Christians in the Roman state of Galatia, because the name of the letter is, after all, Galatians. And he's warning them, these churches, about a group of false teachers and some bad theology that was threatening to up in these churches, threatening to up in their lives, destroy their church and faith community. This group was a high, I'll call them, a high pressure group of church lobbyists. They were pressuring churches like this. They were saying that in order to really be pleasing to God, in order to really be a Christian, a person had to accept not just Christ plus nothing, but Christ plus cultural Judaism. They said, yes, Jesus is so good. Oh, but you need something more. You need to keep the ceremonial laws of Judaism in order to be loved, accepted by God. But in Galatians, Paul, he repeatedly says, no, 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 no. The truth of the gospel is that you are saved by faith in Christ plus nothing. And to illustrate this truth and to show us how the gospel works and functions and specifically with an eye towards racial reconciliation and redemption, Paul tells us a story. 
And it's not a happy story. It's not a pretty story. It's not a nice bedtime story for the kiddos. It's actually a story of failure and sin in church leadership. What happened? This. He writes, when Kavos came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So Paul here for all time, for all eternity, has documented a moment where the very leader of the church of Jesus Christ falls into the trap. Racism, ethnocentricity, cultural superiority. And this is astonishing, especially when you consider who Peter was and what had happened to him because we we saw part of it last week, did we not? In, In Acts chapter 10, God showed Peter that because salvation is by grace alone, that everyone, regardless of race or culture, is equally lost in sin, but can be equally accepted and loved in Christ And so these were the words of Peter, Acts chapter 10. Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Okay, thank you very much, Peter. And yet now, this same Peter, same one who God declared (coughs) had shown him, uh, he declared that God has shown him that we, he should not show favoritism, is doing what? Come on, showing favoritism. The very thing he said that he should not be doing, he is doing, and this is why Paul calls it hypocrisy. How did Paul handle it? How did Paul handle it? They say to Peter, well, you know what, Peter? Racism is bad. You should stop being a racist. Then he say, you know what, Peter? You should stop breaking the racist rule. Remember, God said, don't do that. All those would have been true statements in a way, but that's not how Paul handled it. How did Paul handle it? Look at Galatians 2.14. He said, Peter, look at this. He said, you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And this is an amazing statement. And I want to go so far as to say right here that this one verse, Galatians 2.14, it might be, it might be, it could be, could possibly be, enough disclaimers there for you, the single key you need to live to live the Christian life. Say, how is that? Look at this. The first phrase acting in line here is the word orthopedeo in the Greek. Orthopedeo. If you're in Texas, that's how you say it. Orthopedeo. Orthopedeo. It means literally walking straightly, and it's a combination of a couple of words you likely already know. For example, if you were blessed, like my children were, <laughs> with their father's bad teeth genes... I know. You do what my mom, you do for them what my mom did for me, God bless her, which is you take them to an orthodontist where they get their dentist straightened. They get the dentist orthoed because ortho means straight. And pedeo is where we get our word podiatry, right? A podiatrist is a foot doctor. And if you've ever been asked to, because none of you ever have, ever been asked by a police officer to get out of your car and walk the line, you've had orthopedeo asked of you. 
all right? But Paul says here, Peter, you're not doing gospel orthopedeo. You're not walking straightly here. You're not walking out the line of the gospel, which again, is an amazing statement because this is telling you that the gospel has lines that it shoots out into every area of your life. And again, right away, this single phrase may possibly upend a lot of what you think church ought to be about or maybe what you think the Bible is all about. Because Paul is saying here that the gospel, the essential message of the Christian faith, which is that you are saved, a human can be made pleasing to God and accepted and cherished by him on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It doesn't work as much as the foundation of your faith as it does work like the center of it, center of it. For example, uh, if the gospel were only just the foundation, like the, like, the, like the slab underneath your house if you own a home or, or this building, the gospel would only touch a piece of it, right? Only touch a piece of it. A foundation only touches the bottom floor, what's on top of it, and then you sort of move on as you go up and by you get to the time of time, you get to up there. What's up there is nothing in connection with what's down here. And many people think of the gospel like this, something you put in one time that's good and helpful and then you move on into quote-unquote deeper truths. But can you see that's not actually how the, the founders of the Christian faith saw the gospel. That's not how the writers of the New Testament saw it. That's not how Paul saw it, how Paul used it, and neither should we. Because the gospel isn't just the foundation of your faith, although it is. It's more like the center of your life the central hub from which lines, spokes shoot out. Martin Luther put it like this in his commentary on Galatians. The truth of the gospel is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Thank you very much, Mr. Luther. Always fun to have at a party. Um, but to prove my point, let's ask, what was Peter's problem here? Was his problem, whether he wasn't studying the calendar to know like when the next super blood moon was gonna be? Come on, everybody in first service stared at me. That's probably a good, good thing. Christians can follow some weird stuff. Was Peter's problem, thank you, Pastor Jack, was Peter's problem that he didn't spend enough time researching like the mark of the beast or the antichrist. Listen, that's all, it's all important, but Peter's problem wasn't that he wasn't moving on from the gospel. His whole problem here was that he had. He had failed to keep what was primary, central in front of him, and because Peter only thought, or is thinking here, of the gospel, apparently, as the foundation and not the center, he is bringing this church in Antioch to the brink of collapse. So you don't move on from the gospel, you move out from it, along the course of it, the trajectory of it, along the lines of it. All right, so what was the line then that Peter had failed to walk out? That's my question here. <laughs> what did Peter apparently need beaten into his head again? All right, here's the gospel line, that we are all equally fallen people in need of God's grace. Because we're all equally fallen, once we become equally accepted by Christ, there are no inferior peoples. That's the line he failed to walk out, all right? So because of that, let me try to here give you four implications, something a bit more practical, four implications of Peter's line, all right? Four implications of this, I think, for, for us today. Peter's line shows us four things. First of all, what racism really is, and let me try to 
define this here, my shot at it, in specifically, specifically, exclusively Christian language and terminology, right? Racism, like every other sin, is an effort to do for us what Jesus has already done for us. Because every sin you'll ever commit is an effort to cover yourself, right? Make yourself feel loved, secure, important, uh, beloved, beautiful somehow. Uh, think, about it, think about it. When someone wrongs you, for example, and you confront them uh, like in a Hulk smash rage, what are you doing? You're using unrighteous anger to cover yourself as an means of emotional recovery. Get back what you feel like you've lost. But on the other hand, if someone wrongs you and you don't confront them in love, that's important, because you're afraid of them, what are you doing? Well, again, covering yourself, making sure you're okay either way. You're trying to do for yourself what Jesus has already done. Make you a beauty, beloved, important, right, secure. Or say, when it comes to suffering and you go through tough times, anybody been through tough times over the past year? Yeah. So say you blame yourself. What have you forgotten? Oh, that you're already loved. The penalty for your sins has already been paid. Therefore, whatever you're going through is aimed at redemption, transformation. Here's a Bible word, glorification, not punishment. Or let's say you suffer and you don't blame yourself, but you blame God. What have you forgotten? Again, the lines of the gospel, right? We live in a fallen world. We have all contributed, have we not, to its fallenness somehow. And what proof do you have, I have anyway, that of all, out of all the people who ever lived, you deserve, I deserve a happy, pain-free existence. Either way, you're not covering that difficult moment with who Jesus is, right? Your substitute, your savior. And so racism then is one form of works righteousness. It's using something besides the gospel to make myself feel more than I am, a significant love to beauty. Therefore, it's not just a sin, but in this case, in Galatians, it's a denial of grace, and then I'll go, and this is what Peter's doing at this table in Antioch. At that table in Antioch, Peter is denying for others the grace he had received for himself, though he was accepted by Christ. The basis of faith in Christ plus nothing. He's shown others. He didn't believe that was true about them. Therefore, his behavior followed belief. See, Peter's line shows us racism is a denial of the grace of God. Second, this also shows us as well how deep racism really goes. I mean, think about who Peter was, right? I mean, he's personally chosen, personally discipled by Jesus. He saw Jesus repeatedly minister cross-culturally, all kind of Gentile, non-Jewish peoples, Samaritans, Roman centurions, Syrophoenician women. Peter had experienced the new birth. He's got new spiritual DNA. He was there on the day of Pentecost when God equalized all cultures and languages, sending the Holy Spirit, gospels preached in all languages all at once. Been the leader of the church here for 15 years and yet 15 years plus in his walk with Jesus he's still struggling with this issue shows us this racism unfortunately it doesn't just come out or go away that easily and if this was a problem for a person who walked personally with Jesus Christ our working theory ought to be that it could be it might be an area in which we need to grow as well Hope you can say amen to that. Third, this shows us, and I love this one, how important multi-ethnic church really is. Here's what I mean. This sin never would have surfaced 
and been healed, and we'll look at that for sure. Out of that, if it weren't for that diverse church environment in Antioch, the world's first multi-ethnic church as far as we know. See, in a mono-ethnic environment, all this stuff would have lay lurking in Peter's heart, right? Never would have come up. They never would have had this conversation, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there all along. So if you're here and you're thinking, man, Morgan, I know, I've heard, man, at Mosaic, there's been conf- you know, confrontations, challenges around this conversation point, but it didn't happen over here at that church. You're probably right. It probably hadn't, but why, why? It's not because that sin of racism isn't automatically not there. Right? Might be, might not be. But I think, I think it's most likely because there's not enough diversity for it to surface, at least in public. Hmm. This only surfaced in Peter's heart and could be healed in Peter's life because he was in a diverse, Christ-centered environment. Fourth, shows us also gospel-centered conversations about race and ethnicity really are biblical and necessary. So listen, if Paul had not spoken to this, right, spoken up about this, what would have happened? What would have happened was what was more of what was already happening. People were already, he says, following in, falling into Peter's ditch here. We read that even Barnabas, not our Barnabas, by the way, not, don't you love, but how many churches have a pastor named Barnabas? We do, we're so blessed. Even Barnabas here, the great reconciler, is committing the same sin. Therefore, it's a responsibility church and church leadership to talk about this loving, gracious, but truthful, biblically faithful way to help people grow out of this. So, <laughs> all right, Whew, take a deep breath. Church, that's number one. Let's walk the line. Let's walk the line. Do orthopedeo together. How can we do that? All right, Whew, here we go. Here's a str- one strategy. One strategy, number two, moving along here, is to become the strong. We walk the line by becoming the strong. What do I mean? Here it is. The reality is, all right, being a multi-ethnic church like that Antioch, it's not easy. So many things vary by culture, right? Uh, what, what time you ought to arrive here on a Sunday? I could just live there in so many ways. <laughs> All right, what's time you ought to be here? Your your dress, you know, food, um, you know, how you view authority and respond to that. You put all those things into a room and as much as sometimes we want to make a tasty stew, sometimes we can make a mess. Don't want to do that. How can we make a stew of something flavorful? of Jesus' people, not a mess. Well, to answer that, I want to try to show you how the early church actually did that. And to do that, I want to look at a case study of two churches, okay? The church in Corinth and the church in Rome. And the context of both situations in Corinth and in Rome was the controversy between two groups that Paul calls the strong and the weak. Not right and wrong, but strong and weak. It's a bit complex, but give me a couple minutes here, and I think you'll be the better for having done so. All right, here we go. Church number one. Everybody say church number one. Thank you. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we see that in Corinth, Paul addressed a dispute over meat offered to idols. Folks were fighting about the church potluck. All right. Because in Corinth, It was common for meat sold in the market to have been dedicated to an idol, sort of like with the approved by Zeus stamp on it. So some Christians wouldn't touch it. That lamb, they said, that's bad meat. And sorry, sorry. 
If I lost you, you're back now, I hope. But it's bad me, but not just because of the expiration date. How can we eat something stiff with another God's name on it? Oh, but other Christians, it's in the same church, didn't think there's anything wrong with eating something that said like, blessed by Hermes on the package. Church number two, everybody say church number two. Over in Rome, a different issue about food. Some Christians believe that all believers should continue to keep the Old Testament dietary laws, which excluded eating pig. While other Christians in Rome didn't think there was anything wrong with adding that side of sausage to their Kirby Lane breakfast platter. Paul saw both churches divided between the weak and the strong, with the weak being the people whose consciences sort of didn't grasp the gospel. And in both cases, the weak Christians were those, when it came to food, took like, you know, the MC Hammer approach. You can't touch this. Again, sorry, the jokes aren't gonna get any better. The strong, on the other hand, were those who had a better grasp on the gospel, and instead, in both cases, bon appetit. Now, those were the facts of the case, ma'am. But when you look a little deeper, you see there was something else going on beneath the facts. And what was brewing beneath the facts in both churches is racial, cultural tensions. They were fighting over food. Why? It's because food, like language, is a carrier of culture, right? Think about soul food, right? Southern food, Cajun food, Tex-Mex, these things, food, food is a carrier of culture. So in Corinth, in Corinth, the weak, look at this, ethnically, were Gentile believers. Former pagans, they'd come to faith, they had sensitive consciences about idols. I would have too. While the strong were the ethnically Jewish Christians who thought they knew the Greek gods were non-entities. Like, who's Zeus? They said, he's a fake, he's like a Scooby-Doo monster, man. Pull the helmet off him, he doesn't even exist. On the other hand, in Rome, ethnically speaking, it would have been reversed. The weak now would have been the Jewish Christians. The strong would have been the Gentile believers who knew that in Christ, the old Jewish ceremonial laws were obsolete. Can you see? In one city, one culture ethnically was weak and the other was strong. But in the other city, it was entirely flip-flop and reversed. Here's my point. One group's cultural background made that group blinder to one aspect of the gospel, while in another situation, that same cultural background made that same group wiser about the implications of the gospel, which means this for you and me today. It means there are aspects of what it means to be a Christian that you can see clearly because of your culture, and there are aspects of what it means to be a Christian that you cannot see because of your culture. And the only way, or the, perhaps a main way, a key way to break free from all of our collective blindness and to become truly strong is to do in a multi-ethnic, gospel-centered space what Paul tells them to do next. What did Paul do about it? What was his solution? What was Paul's command to the churches in these racially tense situations? He did this. He called both the strong and the weak. Look at this. To accept one another just as Christ accepted you. You're like, that's it? That's it. That's it, folks. The answer, in other words, within the church, among people, racial and cultural tensions, Paul is saying it's a relationship. Paul gives them a relational solution. Does that sound anything like the words, perhaps, of our master and Lord who tells us to love one another?
Paul's saying the person you think perhaps is weak, got the wrong position, they might have it. They might have it. But he says, oh, receive them. He says, accept them. And here's what that would have meant to a person in that day. That means bring them into your life. You got to initiate and build a relationship with them. Eat with them. Exchange cultural stuff with them. Eat together. Different foods, movies, who knows, as a beginning. Maybe watch that documentary, huh? But that people group, go on a march with them, perhaps literally walk a mile in their shoes. Listen to their stories. Why? Because you love them. Because you love them. Receive them. Bring them in. He says, just as Christ accepted you, which is how and what? On the basis of grace. And those who can do this, I want to tell you, are the strongest Christians of all. Isn't that who we want to be, church? Who I want to be? Strong Christians who can love one another on the basis of the grace that's been extended to us. I want to tell you, I love you. Try to love you like that. And I always will. Hope we can do that together. All right. So what happened? What happened? All right. Let's flash back sideways to use a lost term, TV show Lost, right? Best show with the worst ending ever. Okay. How did this get fixed in Antioch? We're going to flash back sideways. Paul said something in specific to Peter. What Paul said next, it changed Peter's life, and it can change yours, I want to tell you, in any area, no matter what you're going through today, if you'll allow it. Here's what Paul told Peter. He said, you want to get this straight, huh? You want to get it right? All right, number three. He says, you got to find yourself. you got to find yourself, Peter. What do I mean? All right. When you hear the words, find yourself, you're like, whoo, he's talking about going to the beach. I can find myself real nice on a nice vacation, right? Maybe if I go to my therapist, my counselor, I can find myself. And both of those can be great, but that's not what Paul has in mind. This is what he says in response to Peter. He said, look, listen, Peter, we who are Jews by birth and not, I think he's being sarcastic here, quote unquote, sinful Gentiles, Know that a person isn't justified by the works of a law or what you do, the culture that you have, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith, oh, like those Gentile sinners, we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, made right by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Oh, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, Peter, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? He says, absolutely not. <laughs> What's he saying? Let me summarize. He's saying, Peter, here, here's what's going to bring you out of your sin, even your blindness. He says, you've got to find yourself. You've lost yourself, Peter, so you've got to find yourself now. But where does he tell Peter to find himself? He asks his fallen brother this rhetorical question. Peter, he asks, why are you so surprised to see there's still sin latent, lurking in your heart? Don't you know the gospel, Peter? Can't you see it tells you you are both a moral failure and yet you're loved and accepted beyond your dreams? Therefore, Paul says, Peter, you got to find yourself in this place, both wretched and beloved. Wretched and beloved among the sinners, Peter, and yet raised with Christ. And I want to tell you, church, if you take either of these away, Peter, Paul is saying here, you don't have Christianity. You don't have it. Because the only thing that frequently brings us out of our, out of our sin, our pride, our hate, or of any kind is seeing we are among the sinners, Oh, but when you trust Jesus as a Lord, 
rescuer of your life. Now you're loved. Now you're seen as if you were the perfect son of God himself. I mean, think of how the father, God sees the son. Can you see the father's heart exploding with love for the son? That's how he sees you. Uh, this year, this year, a couple of my, my sons play uh, high school sports. One of them's playing baseball. Um, and he had a really tough season, struggling all year, struggling all year, struggling all year. It's hard working with him, working with him. And one day he's at the plate. He's about to hit in this game. They're up by one run. It's the next to the last inning. And he comes up with two outs. And the base is loaded. <laughs> Don't all epic baseball stories begin like this? Yes, they do. Two outs and the base is loaded. Pitch one, ball one. All right. So the coach gives him the take sign. What does my son do? He swings at it. Strike one, listen, I've missed plenty of signals in my life too, so ain't no, sh no shame there. And so I see the coach step out of the box. I'm following what's going on. I used to play a little baseball. The coach does this. That's, a, that's like an aggressive take, like don't miss this. Do not swing, you know. I lean over to Carrie, I'm like, I know what's gonna happen. Like my, our son, he thinks he's getting the bunt sign here. Next pitch, bases loaded, two outs and a strike. <laughs> what does our son do? Lays the bunt down. And it was epic. It was perfect. It was flawless. Flawless bunt down the third baseline. The infielders all lose their mind because who bunts with two outs and the bases loaded up by one run? No one does. Our son does. Lays it down. And by the time the infielders got in losing their minds and throwing the ball over the place, all three runs had scored and our son ends up on second base. He's like, what just happened? We start, I'm, I'm starting to tear up, literally, I'm tearing up here, crying. We're laughing, falling over. Why? Our hearts are exploding with love for our son. No, no, no. That is so small in its own way. That doesn't begin to scratch the surface of how your heavenly father feels feels about those in Christ. And what changes your life is when you know right now that's how he feels about you. I want to tell you, the Christian faith is different than everything else. Traditional faith systems say you can't sin, you can't sin, or God won't love you. Liberal modern faith systems say you're fine just how you are. You, you don't have to change at all. But only the gospel of Christ says you are not fine as you are, even if you think you're a Simon Peter. After 15 years of walking with Jesus, you still are desperately need of rescue and growth and transformation and you cannot stay the same and yet only the gospel says at the same time you love someone who's a hot mess like you and has given himself to bring you home gotta find yourself peter find yourself among the sinners raised with christ wretched and beloved oh peter if you find yourself here he can heal you so what did, what did, what did Paul's gospel recipe do for Peter? I want to tell you, it worked. And here's how, last thought. How do we know? It's because Peter, he walked out this line to his own death. Though Peter falls here, he gets back up again and he walks his line out until he's martyred for faith in the son of God. How can he know this worked? Oh, look at the first words. First words, Peter writes in the first letter that bears his name. First Peter, chapter one, verse one, it says, Peter, an apostle, right? Leader, follower of Jesus Christ, of those who reside as strangers scattered throughout where? Read it, come on. Pontus, where? Galatia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Who's he writing to? Not just Jewish people, no, 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 no. The people of God from all different ethnicities. See, Peter had finally, figured it out. He wrote a new chapter. 
So can you, so can we. No matter what you're going through today, no matter where you find yourself, if you'll find yourself in this place, worse than you thought, but love more than you could ever hope for, by a father who delights even to shed the smallest tear for every effort you make to please him, I want to tell you, your breakthrough come. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.